This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. All right, let's jump in. Yeah, of course. Choose a story from your childhood that was instrumental developing you into the person you are today. You know, Chris, this was a, an interesting thing, right? I, I think there's been a lot of different shifts and different times that things have happened to me in my past. You know, it's, if you had said, if you just said a, a story that, that shifted or changed me, I probably could have given you eight years ago when I went through my divorce and went through those things. But on the childhood side, you know, really, I think it was, you know, at a point when I was 15 going on 16 and my father lost his job. And, you know, growing up, we, we grew up in an upper middle-class family. Um, I was told to, you know, I just needed to concentrate on school. You know, I played sports. I did well in school. My parents didn't want me to have a job. They wanted me to focus on school. And so, you know, I was, I was going to be getting my new car, whatever car I wanted, you know, well, not whatever car, let's just be real, you know, but I, <laughs> you know, this is childhood thoughts, but you know, a new car. And my dad worked for a company, um, a very large company back in the day called Data General. And he was the um, executive regional vice president um, of the Southwest corridor, corridor, right? And he had lost his job right before I turned fit, uh, 16. And I mean, things shifted, right? Being able to understand and for me, I really learned a lot because of the fact that I saw a man who was doing really well. We didn't have to worry about the things we had, you know, really good things. I had a certain path that my parents wanted me to go around. And with most people we see today, especially, you know, when someone loses their job, they kind of sit back and go, well, I got to wait for that perfect thing, right? That to be able to come in. And that wasn't what my father did. He wanted to make sure his family was taken care of. So, you know, I watched my father, right? He worked at Circuit City, you know, he went and sold siding at Sears, even went and, you know, did sold 18 wheelers, right? Just to be able to make sure that the family was taken care of. It didn't matter what the job was, as long as it was doing the things that he needed to do for family first. And then he ended up getting a job um, and starting out really low at a company called Retriever Payment Systems and, you know, worked his way up. You know, and it, it was that thing, right? I look back now, he retired early at, I think, 62. Um, he's 74 now, 30 years older than me. And, you know, he worked his way up all the way to retirement at executive vice president of the company, one of the largest payment processing companies in the country. So, you know, for me, it really gave me a lot of value. I think it really helped me be able to understand true value of money and true value of ethics, right? And the respect that you look for yourself. And that's kind of the story that really sticks with me because I don't know if I would have had the same kind of mentality around having a value for money, seeing that it was given to me and being able to go through. And I remember like my dad lost a job. So I, I started working at the YMCA as a referee. I, I did camp counseling, right? To be able to earn my way and be able to go through. And, you know, I really think it made me the man I am today, knowing that you do what it takes, right? There's no no job that's too good for you. If that's what the opportunity is, you take advantage of the opportunity ahead of you and you push forward. And it's allowed me to be able to get to, I mean, look, I've started 16 companies in my my career. I've had a couple of good exits. I've had some that have went under, but 
you know, the beautiful thing is I always worked as hard as possible and shot for the stars. So, you know, that was, that's the story I would say would be the, the best for my childhood that I remember that I really, really hold dear. That's a good one. Yeah. So then what inspired you to start your business and how did you transform that idea into reality? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of go back in. I mean, I probably had many different little businesses. I was probably an entrepreneur at early age, selling candy on my locker, you know, and, you know, always finding opportunity. But for this, for my first company that I started back in 2002, 2000, end of, end of 2002, beginning of 2003, it really was, I had been, always had different opportunities. I had got my broker's license here in Austin, moved out to California and, you know, I, I saw the writing on the wall pretty early before 2008 hit because, you know, really there were so many people in the mortgage industry, they were doing negams, reverse mortgages, and people were making more money refinancing their home every year comparably to actually at their jobs. And so I had left that industry and I, I, a buddy of mine brought me into the digital space. And, you know, and this was early on, right? Or 2001, 2000, uh, really 2001, 2002. And it was, it was interesting. I kind of sat back and watched being able to go through, this is the wild, wild west of digital advertising. And, you know, about six months in, the owner of the company changed and shifted. He went from wanting to be, which he was, which is a business owner to a business operator. And there's a huge difference in that, right? Someone actually owning the business and letting other people run it versus coming in to run it himself. And we saw a really shift. And I remember one day, I got a call from his assistant and he used to call me directly. He was like, Hey, so-and-so wants to, Andrew wants to talk to you tomorrow morning. You're available. I'm like, looked at my, my girlfriend at the time and said, yeah, this is, this isn't good. You know, and the company was shutting down and he was letting everyone go. And so for me, my first company really started out of, you know, necessity and opportunity because I said, look, you know, I, I got let go. And I said, what am I going to do? I have the relationships, not only on, for me in the advertising side, it was traffic and then actually public sites that were out there. And so I started reaching out and taking that knowledge that I'd gotten. And I started just going off relationship building. What did I do? How could I actually pair two people together and take the margin of the middle of being able to be that middle between those two companies? And so it really, you know, spawned. I mean, I remember, you know, working from my couch 12 hour days to be able to kind of make things happen and be able to go through and it was interesting because six months later, I ended up hiring most of the people that worked at the previous company back at my company and really being able to start it. And the crazier thing is too, one of my first big clients at that company, um, which really catapulted me to everything, was a company that most people forgot about these days. Um, it was a big company back then called MySpace. Yeah, yeah. So MySpace was my first big companies, and I actually helped them develop one of the first social media ads to be able to monetize their traffic. And it was based off of relationships that I had with Yahoo and with them, and then being able to pair that together to be able to create a monetization platform for them. So, you know, yeah, it. I wish I had always been an entrepreneur. I needed that. I always had that opportunity that I was to monetize, to make money. But truly, until I was let go and I said, well, damn, I don't know what I'm going to do. So well, let me let me just jump in, and it was an opportunity that that came a knocking, and I took advantage of it. I loved being able to program how my site looked in MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing was, so many people forgot about it after it kind of went under. It's still there, and then back in the day, like it was like ten years ago, but still, 
you know, companies would look and be like, oh, look at all the craziness that you had on MySpace. I don't know what, you know, who you are, what's going on, because we just kind of walked away from it. You know, it right. just kind of disappeared after a while. And we all started going to Facebook and other things. So yeah, yeah, it's uh it was it was crazy back then. We we were doing arbitrage. So it was, you know, we were buying the traffic from MySpace, creating that ad unit, and then actually selling it to Overture, which became Yahoo. And I mean, Chris, I'll tell you, dude, it was like print money. We were we were making a couple million dollars a month on being able to oh go goodness. through there, which was amazing, but also bad at the same time for a young guy in his 20s. And he really pushed and pushed me and made a lot of mistakes. But luckily I was, you know, smart enough and blessed enough to be better than some of my friends that were like, I'm buying the Ferraris and, you know, in oh, Lambos yeah. and, and yachts and all the other stuff. And I saved a lot of money, which allowed me to get through 2008. Um, because at that point in time, I was bleeding about $250,000 a month because everyone's like digital oh. advertising. First thing they cut, right. Being able to go That's through. Right. And so I was able to make it through there and then be able to continue on to where I am today. Okay. So share some key influences or mentors who played a role in your entrepreneurial journey and how they impact or impacted your approach to business. You know, um, one of the key ones that really for today, when I look back, right, was Richard Branson. Um, I was really kind of blessed, right? I had been given, I had another uh, mentor as well. It was a friend of mine, Jesse Elder. And, you know, the, there was this group called Maverick 1000 um, put on by Yannick Silver. And I had always been around, and this was early days when they were first kind of kicking off. And I had always been around a lot of different people, but the people that worked for me before were all my, my friends from high school, right? I hired those people being able to go through in the past company. So I wasn't surrounding myself with a lot of people that were pushed at my level or higher pushing me to be better. I was surrounding myself with a lot of people that were okay with me paying them you know, and, and living that life. And so I had the opportunity when I first, you know, got introduced to Maverick 1000, um, to go out to Necker Island, um, and be able to spend a week with Richard Branson. And it was really influential because to be able to meet someone that this epic entrepreneur, uh, and be able to go through and just see how just down to earth he was, what was going on and what he did to be able to give back first. And that was the amazing thing. I was surrounded by others in Maverick 1000 that were adding up, that were about how do we add value to this world, not just monetize it, but appreciate the wealth that we had gotten. Because prior to that, if I talked about too much of how well we were doing, because I was running 10 companies, rent six, seven, and eight figure businesses, but the people yeah. I was surrounding myself that worked for me, they wanted the money, but they didn't want to hear about how that the happy, the, the things that I was doing with it and being able to grow and have fun and, and give back and things like that. So it was always even my in my past relationship um, before I got divorced. It it wasn't something I could talk about because it was looked at as bragging, right? Of mm. being able to achieve a level of success. So being able to meet Richard and, and understand things like you know, you know his dyslexia, right? He saw it as a superpower, you know, and how he used it. And and it was it was crazy. I remember this one one time we were there. And he was going through and he's like, Hey, I've got this other Island. I want everyone to show everyone to it's called mosquito Island. And I was like, all right, we'll go look. And we go in and I mean, Chris, let me tell you, he's literally pitching us a timeshare. And I'm like, what oh, is man. going on? <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy. Now, not only is he pitching me a timeshare, he's in his pajamas. Right. <laughs> and my wife at the time, 
you know, was like, oh my God, what's going on? I was like, you know, perspective shift. One, I'm like, who the hell, why am I getting pitched a, you know, a timeshare? But dude, Richard Branson's pitching. And two, he's not, he doesn't care about what it's the value of what he's doing and why he's doing it. Right. You don't have to be able to go through. And I, you know, I had grown up in this world where you had to be able to hold everything back. Don't show anyone any of your cracks. Right. You know, don't, you know, you, it's all about your watch, right? What watch do you have? What kind of shoes do you wear? Cause those are the things oh, yeah. that men can't fake. Right. Don't, don't let anyone know the problems that you're going through. And for me, that was a massive shift. Not only Maverick 1000, but meeting Richard, being able to spend time with him and how he's thought and what he wanted to do to incrementally change the world on a, on a day-to-day basis, but not based off of how people saw him, but how he saw the world. Did you buy it the timeshare? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, thank God, because I went through a divorce shortly after that. So oh, yes. Probably would have lost that thing. <laughs> so what makes your business unique and valuable? How does it solve a particular problem? You know, for me, it's about what we do, right? Um, I had spent years building companies to be able to monetize the traffic. I was the go-to guy. If you wanted to monetize online, seek Joshua Beely, right? Being able to go through. And that was hollow. I mean, and, and really, Chris, that led me to a to a place where, you know, when I look back prior to my divorce, like I remember going in my office and staring at the wall, contemplating if I should be on this planet, you know, mm-hmm. and if the money I would leave for my kids would be more important than me being around. And it, it was it was scary time. And I mean, luckily I had a good friend of mine that I mentioned before, Jesse Outer, gave me permission to take my life back and and rethink and look back. And I, I went through the divorce and you know, I shut down all my companies because my lawyers told me it was going to take three to four years to be able to go through. And I said, look, we can always make more money. We can't make more time, right? And at 36, I moved back with my parents with a little bit under $1,000 of my name to be able to save that time with my kids in mental capacity. And, and I look back and, and really the, the end question, and I give this detail because if I go into it and talk why standard authority is so different, because people look at it and go, oh, you work on LinkedIn. You're the, you're the, you get, you get people leads. It's not about leads, right? Because after monetizing almost a billion dollars in advertising spend, after controlling 35 trillion online impressions across my own servers, one of the biggest things I realized was there's a difference between traffic and actually true engagement. And that's kind of what I built standard authority for is how do we actually bring that human back into the business? You know, get rid of the B2B, get rid of the B2C and go 100% HDH because every company is run by a human being. Most marketers forget that. And LinkedIn was that platform that people were sleeping on. They were just pitching and spamming and going through and talking about their business and all the shiny shit that no one cares about. You know, And for us, being able to go through and show how do we educate, inspire, and draw people in, not sell them. Because I sold people so many times in the past, I don't know it actually had value. But when you educate, inspire, and draw someone in and they choose to work with you, it's a massive shift, man. And I mean, it's, it's amazing to be able to see it, to be able to do the little things. So what makes our business different? We do the things that people forget to do, that they were taught by their mothers how to treat other human beings online, right? How do we actually go through that and actually build a conversation that creates a relationship, which a relationship creates, opens up opportunities. And that's that big piece, right? We're not trying to get send a thousand messages like every other LinkedIn company out there to get that one sale. Because honestly, all you're doing is pissing off 999 people. For our clients, 
The first thing I want to be able to do is create advocates because advocates are more powerful than one client. One advocate can bring me a hundred clients. So what makes us different is that's our job. We're in the business of building advocacy first and allowing that byproduct to become clients because we treat people like human beings when we're working with someone's, you know, creating their personal brand, allowing that to stand out, their content and their messaging and treating people like other human beings. So those 999 people that might not have been right then become advocates and you still get that one sale, but those 999 people can bring you more opportunity, come back to you later and all these other things. And that's why I know what we do creates massive impact because now the people I get to work with, man, are the, are the men and women I used to read their books on how to start my own companies 20 years ago. And now I get to help them, you know, you know, connect and really build that true opportunity and engagement with their audience. And it's just doing the things my mom taught me how to treat other human beings. It's not rocket science. It's just the human algorithm. And it's, that's the thing that people miss out on. We work on the human algorithm not worrying about the LinkedIn algorithm, the TikTok, or any of these other things, because that's the one algorithm that doesn't change every six months. It evolves with time slowly, and it works across every single platform out there. Amen to that. Oh, that's that's gold. I like that. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, oh man. So, what's the most valuable lesson you learned on your entrepreneurial journey? Be a hundred percent you, hundred percent of the time, on and offline. I mean, this is that big thing that I think that so many people go through and do. We always have this perception of other people's perception of us, right? I'll say that again. Mm -hmm. Our perception of other people's perception of us is what drives us crazy, right? And so, and that's the biggest thing as entrepreneurs, we're always worried what everyone's going to think we're going to do. We're in this, in this world alone, right? We're trying to, that's not the case. If you show up a hundred percent of the time on and offline as you you don't have to remember the stories. You don't have to remember anything. And in the, in the long run, because of that, I learned as human beings, we only make decisions based on some degree of love or hate. We do not make decisions on being indifferent to somebody. So if you're showing up hundred percent of the time, right? The people are, you're going to draw in the right audience and you're going to repel the people that aren't those because we've all been like, Oh, Hey, I'll buy your product. And you deal with them. You're like, Oh my God. Wow. That's, this is hard for everyone, right? They brought your service and you've got to try and make, cause you're worrying about the money first. But if, if you show up and they, they choose you based on you just being hundred percent because they love or hate to a certain degree, what you stand for, what you put out there, it makes not only life, but business so much more and it allows all of us to be in flow. Mm-hmm. So what parting words of wisdom do you have? Parting words for wisdom, man. Uh, I think I gave all my gold away already. You know? I know. I was thinking that too. There's so much good stuff already. Like I mean, I'm sure there's there's some stuff in there, man, that I, I share. But I mean, like, dude, that that's that whole piece, right? I mean, for me, my parting words of wisdom is for every entrepreneur out there, you're not alone, right? I never want another entrepreneur to feel like I felt eight years ago feeling so alone that there was no other option than to not be on this planet anymore. And, and that's, that, that's that big thing. We can't silo ourselves out. It's not all on you as an entrepreneur to change the world. I tried to change the world on my own and I damn near killed myself doing it, right? The only way we can all rise up and truly change this world is together. And so that's the one thing. And the only way you can be able to do that is to be able to ask for the support when you need it. Let other people know because we can't just guess what your problem is, what you need, how you need solutions and all those other things. 
And so that's my parting words of wisdom, man. Don't hold back. Let people know what's going on with you because that's the only way we can actually truly support and be able to change this world together. Well, see, that was great parting words of wisdom. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode. 